Welcome to the New Life Ministries podcast. Do you have a memory that stings a little? Something you once did that, although you have been forgiven and the event is over, when you bring it to mind, it makes you cringe? I can't believe I did that. Jesus forgives us, but at times he also leans into these moments to release us from their grip. Jesus wants us to be wholeheartedly free to love and serve him. In today's passage, we see Jesus doing this very thing with Peter. Let's join Curtis as we look into John chapter 21 and see Jesus reconcile and restore his friend and disciple. Today we're going to look at John chapter 21. If you've got a Bible or if you've got a smartphone and would like to turn to it, those of you online watching the recording or listening to the recording, recording, good morning. Glad you've joined us. If you've ever been walking around outside and suddenly smell a campfire or a wood-burning fireplace, oh, it smells so good. It's, it's an instantly recognizable smell. and uh, Our scent memory is very strong. Um, for me, it just reminds me of cozy and autumn and relaxing and all things good. Do you know that, can you identify the difference between a, um, a wood fire and a garbage fire? <laughs> yeah, because a garbage fire is putrid. If my fam- my, most of my family lives in Saskatchewan, and if we get together during the summer months, we will have a campfire and roast a hot dog once every, <laughs> supposed to be once a year, but we don't always. Uh, so that's about the only time that I will have a hot dog will be at my sister's place and around a fire. And my sister has a very different life than I do. She is, has a family, she has kids, she's married. She often lives in the country um, where I live in the city and I'm single. And there are times I just wish, you know, that I can just be envious of where she lives and uh, the kind of life she has. But there's really no point in comparing, is there? Uh, because nothing good will come into my soul if I spend a lot of time comparing for what I don't have. And really, Jesus has built me to live different and has called me to live different. But still, sometimes, eh? You know that experience where you see somebody else's life and it's illogical, it makes no sense, but you just wish that that could be what your life is like. However, as we often say here, you have to live the life that you've been given. Or you have to meet life in reality. You have to live life on life's terms. So last week was Easter morning, and we looked at John 20. And after the resurrection of Jesus, he had given his disciples a commissioning to join him in his ministry and to help folks discover the forgiveness that's available and the new life that is available in him. Today, chapter 21 gives us the closing scene to this whole story and winds up a few loose ends. And there are two important details to catch in this text. And one is the campfire and the smell of the campfire. And the other one is learning to live your own life with Jesus rather than comparing or wishing. So let me just offer a prayer and we'll read. Father, your word speaks to us uh, with life and with guidance And it speaks to our heart, not just our mind, and calls us to follow you and to respond to you. Lord, please speak through your word today and tell us, show us what you would have each of us 
pick up and, and carry with us. Yeah, that you would be glorified. Amen. So John chapter 21. Later, Jesus appeared to his disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Canaan in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, there were two of them, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they got out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but his disciples couldn't see who he was. And he called out, Boys, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. And then he said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you'll catch some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for the work, jumped into the water and headed to shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only a hundred yards from shore. When they got there, they found some breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking on a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus had asked the question a third time. And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. Peter turned around and saw behind them the disciple Jesus loved, the one who had leaned over to Jesus during the supper and asked, Lord, who will betray you? Peter asked Jesus, what about him, Lord? Jesus replied, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. So the rumor spread among the community of believers that this disciple wouldn't die. But that isn't what Jesus said at all. What he said was, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This disciple is the one who testifies to these events and has recorded them here. And we know that his account of these things is accurate. Jesus also did many other things. If they were all written down, I suppose the whole world could not contain the books that would be written.
So let's go over the story. The disciples are back in Galilee, which is the province above. They've left Jerusalem, and you get a sense that they're not really sure what to do. So let's go fishing. Like, let's return to our old way of living. Let's just do what we did before we met Jesus three years ago. Maybe they're waiting for further instruction. Just kind of have a sense of they don't quite know what to do with themselves. And they don't catch anything. And so some guy from shore gives them a suggestion. And I can just imagine after fishing all night and catching nothing, and these guys are fishing likely, you've seen a documentary where they fish with nets and you wind the net in a certain way and you throw it and it opens up and lands and you pull it in all night. And then some guy from shore says, put it on the other side of the boat. Okay. And the net is full. And it reminds them of when they first met Jesus. And John notices first. And then Peter, hearing what John says, dives in headlong, which is similar to how they behaved at the tomb, where John was there first, but Peter was the one who dove into the tomb. And it's different personalities between the two. And I think I am like John, because I'll notice and then pause and consider. And I have a friend who will launch himself into whatever we're doing, and he says his body will help him figure out what to do. (laughs) My body does not help me figure out what to do. My body tells me what goes wrong. Like, don't do that. But he just dives in. I'm not going to (laughs) say. A little bit. (laughs) Yeah. I'm the, hey, notice, hmm. Yeah, it's really fun when we're going toward, we're, we, he's my camping buddy. And so we'll go towards rapids and he'd be like, okay, see the eddy on the left. I want you to stay on the right of that big rock and we'll da, 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 da. And, and you can't stop when you're heading towards rapids. And I'll be like, what's an eddy? <laughs> yeah. So anyway, Peter grabs his outer garment and dives into the water. And I always thought that that was a weird thing to do, put on your clothes, uh, you know, because he'd probably taken off his tunic because he's working, he'd be sweating. And then one guy said, in the Greek, it's that he put on his, the word is to gird his loins, meaning he put on his tunic and then would have wrapped it under his legs and over his belt, which would have meant his legs would be free for swimming. Whereas if he was wearing a tunic and he had long cloth that went down to his knees, he can't swim in a dress very well. It's like, that's what's going on. So Peter swims to shore, the boat rows in. Peter helps the guys pull in the large, a huge amount of fish. And when they get there, in verse 9, they found breakfast waiting for them. Fish cooking over a charcoal fire with some bread. Do you remember the last time that there was a fire described as a charcoal fire in in the book of John? It's the night that Peter denies Christ. It's in the courtyard of the high priest on the evening that Jesus is arrested. And it's the location where Peter is warming himself and he denies Jesus three times. Um, That's the clue for us as to what is going on. And for Peter, you can imagine that that smell of that particular fire would have brought back the memory of that night. Because our smell, like our sense memory, scent memory is very strong. Imagine Peter sitting there beside Jesus with the fire, remembering the shame and the regret. And imagine him thinking, I know I've been forgiven, but that memory stings. 
you know that experience where you know you've been forgiven for something, but the memory of what you've done just stings? It's like, oh, I just wish. So yeah, so here is Peter sitting by another fire, sitting beside Jesus. And Jesus asks him three questions to match the three times that he denied Jesus. Jesus is actually leaning into the wound and the bad memory that Peter has. Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these other guys? And Peter's like, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Feed my lambs. And maybe there's a pause, and they're kicking the sand a little bit, and they're poking at a fire with a stick, because that's what you do. And then Jesus repeats, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? Yes, Lord, Peter says, you know I love you. Take care of my sheep. Pause. And then a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus says, then feed my sheep. Three times to repair the wound of three denials, to remove the shame. Jesus is leaning directly into what I think would hold Peter back from wholehearted obedience to Jesus because he would know I denied you, like it would be sitting there. Peter, uh, you might notice that um, the question that Jesus asks is, do you truly love me? And in, in English, and Peter responds with, yes, I love you. Those of you who have perhaps looked at this text before or in other translations, you know that there's two different words going on. Jesus asks, do you love me agape love, which is selfless, self-sacrificing. You give your life for me. Peter responds with philo love, brotherly love, family love. And he does that the first two times. And on the third time, Peter, uh, Jesus asks, do you philo love me, brotherly love? And I, I don't think that Peter, I don't think Peter is answering with a less form of love because he loves Jesus less. I think he's remembering that he didn't, he didn't, love Jesus sacrificially. He's like, I, even though I do love you self, you know, sacrificially, I didn't on those three times. And so he's not able emotionally to respond to the question Jesus is asking. All he can say is, I love you brotherly love because I failed you those three times. And so Jesus is leaning into this memory that haunts, G that haunts Peter and he's releasing him from it. This is actually beautiful. This is a gift. Sometimes we have this memory, this, just this dumb thing we did in our past or perhaps more than once. And even though we know Jesus forgives us, we need him to remove the sting of the memory. And the way to do it, partly, is to lean in with that memory to Jesus. Like to sit with Jesus and say, I did this this painful, stupid, I'm so embarrassed, I don't even want to look at this memory. And, I, and Lord, I know you've forgiven me because you died on the cross, but I need you to release me from the sting of this shame. And that, that's what you do. And you sit with Jesus and you let him forgive you. Um, you might ask him, Lord, is there anything you would say to me as I think about this? Or is, 
is there any perspective I need to hear um, about what I did? Like you can ask Jesus for what is the thing I need to hear to remove this sting from me? Is that coherent? So what is worth noticing is that Jesus gives him a command. He says, feed my sheep. And that's part of his restoration process. It's part of the forgiveness. He's not saying, if you feed my sheep, then I will forgive you. That, that is not what this is saying. Rather, for, Jesus is sharing with Peter part of his own work as a way to reinstate Peter and a way for Peter to realize the, the depth of his forgiveness. Because there's, you know, we can forgive, we can reconcile, and we can restore somebody. This is not, I forgive you, but I really don't want anything to do with you again. It's not that. It's not, I forgive you, I'm okay talking with you, but I'm not trusting you with anything in my life anymore. This is, I forgive you, I want to be around you, and I fully reinstate you to the responsibility you're going to carry. Imagine if you're a carpenter and your boss hires you to frame up a house. And you frame up a house, and a storm comes, and the whole house falls over. And your boss, your employer is out, you know, $50,000, $100,000. Imagine your boss sitting with you, talking about what happened, forgiving you, and saying, okay, I want you to build my next house. It's like, it's a full restoration back to the job he was supposed to have. Jesus is the great shepherd. And now he's saying to Peter, you are also going to be a shepherd. I'm giving you a share in my work. This is a full, it's by accepting this ministry, Peter is understanding that he is forgiven and restored. It's not forgiven, I don't trust you. I've forgiven, you're restored. I give you your work back to you again. So that's something to ponder that the ministry we find ourselves in, the ministry that Jesus leads us into, is not only sharing the work that he wants us to share, it's the evidence of his forgiveness of you. It's the evidence that he trusts you, that he's giving you part of his ministry. So if you ever, um, you know, wrestle with forgiveness, like, I, I'm not sure if Jesus has really forgiven me all the sin, if he's given you work to do, that's the evidence. He has forgiven me and restored me and given me a role in his kingdom and trusts me with it. So it's, it's the evidence sometimes that our soul needs. And so then Jesus takes it a bit further. I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself. You went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. So Peter's life will end in martyrdom. And tradition has it that he was crucified, uh, like Jesus was, that he was perhaps crucified upside down. Um, so he, Peter will follow Jesus, and he will serve as a shepherd at the cost of his life. And at this point, Peter looks back and sees the disciple that Jesus loves. Now, that disciple is likely John, who is the author of this book, but that's never exactly stated. Um, and not all scholars think that that's true. But Peter and John, or the disciple that Jesus loved, have been together a whole bunch in this book. At the Last Supper, 
Peter asks this disciple to ask Jesus who would betray him. This disciple was able to get Peter into the high court's high priest's courtyard um, the, at the night of the betrayal. When Mary Magdalene said she had seen Jesus, it's Peter and this disciple who run to the tomb together. On the boat, it's Peter and this disciple who uh, identify that it's Jesus and run to see Jesus. So the two of them have always kind of been paired up together. Peter has just been restored. He's been forgiven. He's just been told that he will follow Jesus. He's, he will serve Jesus to his death. And so naturally, Peter looks at the other guy. What about him? Like, it's just perfect. Is he going to have the same fate? Are we all dying as we do this? So in verse 22, Jesus responds, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You follow me. It doesn't matter what happens to him. You follow Jesus. You follow me. You live the life that I give you to live. You have to follow me. Yeah, you have to follow me in the life I have planned for you. Don't compare yourself to other disciples. Don't be looking at what they do or what it costs or what they get. You keep your eye on me. Which is a tension, eh? Because we do compare ourselves with other disciples. Um, and we want to know if we get a fair deal on the whole thing. Which is really weird to think about whether we get a fair deal on the subject of forgiveness. Because forgiveness means that it's not fair, we're being forgiven. But to consider that the ministry Jesus gives these men fits their personalities. Peter's an all-in kind of guy. John, and the ministry we see from John, is, a, is less body, it's more mind, it's more heart. John gives us the gospel. He gives us 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, which is all about love, and it's about encouraging and obedience and trusting. He gives us the book of Revelation, encouraging, keep going. He's given us all these books of the Bible. Peter is a speaker and a leader in the church in Jerusalem. Peter, sorry, John is heart and spirit and reflecting in the inner pondering, and then that would mean this. That's, that's John, sorry. Peter is like body and mind. Let's do this. Um, so it's neat that Jesus gives them different ministries, but it fits their personality. It fits what they were created to be like. And in that way, it kind of is fair. Um, and in the end, John actually ended up being exiled on an island for several years. So he did have his own journey and his own cost of following Jesus. So Jesus knows what fits you best. You just need to follow. So this has been a restoring fire with Jesus as the book of John closes. The smell of the fire brings to mind Peter's three denials that he was a disciple of Jesus. So Jesus asks him three times if he loves him, leaning into what is likely holding Peter back. It's reminding Peter that you actually do love me. And Jesus is setting him free from the sting of that memory. Jesus shares with Peter his ministry. He's given a task, which is the evidence that he is forgiven and restored. And the ministry Jesus gives us is evidence that he trusts us. He's forgiven us. He's restoring us. And he also directs Peter's eyes away from comparing with John and says, you just focus on me. Jesus gives each person their own ministry. 
which fits who they are. You must just follow me. So what's been catching your attention this morning? How has the Spirit been perhaps convicting you or convincing you of something within yourself? Where's this, how's the Spirit been speaking to you? You talked about how Jesus gives us work to do that matches who we are. My understanding is that we are created and equipped for something, and then Jesus gives it to us. That we are being prepared for a particular ministry or whatever. I'm not sure that those are disagreements. I think it's the same. Well, yeah, yeah. I don't think it's like, you know, Jesus looks around and try to find somebody that will be suited to this. No, we are created suited to something, and then when the time is right, it's given to us. This whole idea of forgiveness, I think, has been so screwed up. God's forgiveness is unconditional. It doesn't depend on our doing anything. We're not supposed to be looking for an apology or a recognition of what somebody has done to hurt us before we forgive. No, we're to forgive. That's it. Whether they do or not. And mainly, I believe that's because forgiveness is for us, not for them. It's to release us. As long as we don't forgive, we are tied to the person who harmed us. And we suffer for it. It's always nice if somebody acknowledges when they've done something wrong to us, but that's not a necessity at all. Nice. I love the the sensory input of it. Uh, the, The whole idea of charcoal fire, which actually a charcoal fire has a very particular smell to it. Um, it's different from a, from a wood fire. It's different from, well, different from any other fire. Um, but interestingly enough, on top of that smell of charcoal would have been the smell of bread, which is such an inviting smell. And after a long, 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 like, I mean, long night of fishing and absolutely catching nothing. And then having some guy on this shore state, well, why don't you just fish off the other side of the of the boat? And it's like, and it worked. And there's bread smell, and I can, yeah. And this this whole inviting him into fellowship again. It's not, you know, you'd almost expect, uh, so you know, Jesus to be standing on shore and going, well. And yet, that's not at all God's way of of drawing us into into fellowship with him of of saying i need you to realize what has happened and to realize that i'm making it okay and that i'm not done with you just such a a real um it's a father's heart it's such a beautiful nice i like that what i really found special was the fact that um jesus had brought the fish he had fish was ready to eat. Then he said, bring me some of your fish. Yeah. I thought that was kind of really neat that he wanted to involve the disciples in, in something they could do and help. And it seems to me that um, Jesus often wants our involvement, our friendship. Uh, as he cares for us, he wants us involved, and he gives us a chance. Another thing that struck me uh, is that... Um, uh, he had coal there. 
I don't think coal would naturally appear on the beach. Where did that coal come from? Uh, Jesus provided that coal. I don't think, uh, well, I mean, I don't know, but I, I suspect that they wouldn't have piles of coal uh, uh, lying around the well, beach. Well, he went to Canadian Tire and picked up a bag of briquets. Yeah, that's probably what he did. <laughs> this is not a... But anyway, this that's not a pretty, commercial for Canadian Tire. That's pretty minor. But I have a question, too, yeah, a real yeah. quick question. Because, because I wasn't listening well enough. Ah. First time he asked him about whether he loved him, agape. And would you define that agape a little bit more? Yeah, so agape love is a self-sacrificing love. It's the, it's the kind of love that would die for your child, like would actually die for your child. Okay. It's that, which no. is different than... Um, brotherly love. Brotherly love, which was still a family love, but... Not to the same but extent. But not to the same, I will literally die to save you. I mean, sometimes you you do die for your brothers, right? But... And the second time he asked him for? The agape. The third time he asked him for? Philo, brotherly. Aha. So Jesus. So he came down. Jesus comes down to where Peter To Peter, Peter's level and says, well, how about this? Tell me, do you love me with this? And Peter said, well, I already told you, right? That's interesting. That's the third time Jesus came down to his level. Now, commentators are... A lot, of, a lot of commentators say we shouldn't read too much into this because it can also be stylistic language. But, but yet in Scripture, when there are differences like this, usually the writers put that difference in for a reason. So tend to dance back and forth. So I just really loved your beautifully crafted sermon, how you talked about the comparisons and our journeys with Christ. Yeah. And there's no point in comparing. But I also loved that Peter had some stuff that he needed to sort out, and it probably wouldn't have helped him to have the disciples to say, you got to do this, you got to get this right. Jesus knew exactly what was needed and so beautifully orchestrated the events. And, you know, same with each of our walks. There's no point in comparing. God has got this, and he knows exactly how to call us to him and to bring us to that point of repentance. And so... Pray and, and be there and be who you're called to be, but God is on the journey with our loved ones as well. Nice. Uh, it's funny because uh, one of the things that I love about this passage so much uh, is that, at least from my reading, they were putting that net in to prove him wrong because that is exactly <laughs> what I would do. When someone comes up and you're, and you're like... Been, going at this for hours and it's not working and nothing is working and nothing is working. They're like, well, you're doing it wrong. Just make this minor change that literally would do nothing. You're like, oh yeah, oh yeah. Is that going to help? Is it? And then it does. And you're like, okay. (laughs) And it's just so human. And he knew that because of course he did that what is going to prove most to them at that moment that they're in charge of very little, including, like, the thing they do. This is their job. This is what they do best. This is what they do best. They have no control over it, and only he does. And it's fascinating that that is what he chose to remind them of just before he left. Yeah, yeah. Lovely. 
Remember that, Albert, when you go fishing and catch nothing. <laughs> Jesus is directing the fish. They never fish the net. <laughs> Do you know the story? I was out camping with Pete, and there was a f- we had parked the canoe, and it parked? The canoe. Anchored. Um, and there was a fish jumping. We could see it, and there were other fishermen trying to get this fish, and so he's casting. He's standing in the water, and I'm like, this worked for Jesus. Try on the other side of the canoe. He tries it, and he didn't catch the fish. He caught a fishing lure. He's like, I, I, got, I, I got a lure. I'm like, okay, I'm not Jesus, but... <laughs> Got your lure. I want to know who counted the fish. <laughs> Wait, 153? Like, who took the time to do that? Like, <laughs> oh, this one says 153. Yeah. <laughs> really interesting. Just to finish up what George was talking about. So Jesus's question was agape, agape, phileo, and Peter's answer was phileo, phileo, phileo. Okay. Flail fish? Good. Yeah. I wasn't going to go there, but. <laughs> so, what I'm wondering is like, back to the comment of Peter, do you love me more than these? Who is he pointing to? Yeah. The fish versus the disciples? Because the disciples are unsure what to do. Now, not all of them were fishermen, but they decide to go fishing. And when you go fishing, you fish at night because you have a higher success rate. And so they do what they know how to do the very best and there's nothing. And all of a sudden Jesus says, do this. And all of a sudden, is that like help in their transition of, no, I actually am calling you to be fishers of men now. Like this is your new occupation because all I have to do is bless it. And if I'm in it, there will be success. So don't worry about, I just wonder about that part of that transition. You know, Jesus is going to leave very soon and he's transitioning them into, so I, yeah, I just thought that was kind of beautiful. Yeah. And I think that's, there's something um, kind of subtly in the text that, you know, without Jesus, you won't catch any fish with Jesus. You'll get more than you can imagine. Like that, that is definitely something subtly in, in what this material is. Let me just off, uh, end with this. Uh, follow Jesus in the life he's given you. Amen. Amen. Go in peace, folks. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. New Life Ministries is located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. You are invited to join our service in person or over Zoom. Please use the contact us link to send an email to the church office and request the address or Zoom link. If you would like to use these podcasts, As part of your home church or local church gathering, you are free to do so. We do request that you let us know. If there is any other way that we can help you in your ministry, please send us an email.